Hello and welcome to another episode of Thriller Podcast. Today we are talking blockchain startups and banks buying them. Next we're discussing Vitalik and his prediction of dropping near zero for cryptocurrencies. What? And then our final topic we're discussing the future will be decentralized. Oh yeah, Thriller Podcast starting now. Welcome to Thriller with Carl Gonzalez. Broadcasting from Austin, Texas. Via SoundCloud and supported by it's time for the news. 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 Thriller with Car Gonzalez. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you guys had a great and wonderful weekend. I sure did. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into the news. So banks buy stakes in blockchain startup Settle. Financial services group City has bought a stake in blockchain startup Settle. The move announced today comes less than three weeks after the French banking institution Credit Argario has become a minority shareholder. Other investors in the startup include ComputerShare, Delodi, and the banking company 2SM. Settle noted that the ComputerShare had boosted its stake in the blockchain startup and that Stuart Irving, ComputerShare's group CEO, is joining its board of directors. In a statement, he said, We are pleased to announce that we have extended our shareholder register with both new and existing partners and have agreed the scope of a number of revenue-generating projects. The startup aims to facilitate the movement of cash and other assets between two parties using a permission ledger it developed. This, in turn, would make it easier to match and settle different types of transactions. So the startup recently launched here in 2015 and was founded by former executives from the financing space. So it looks like they just basically bought themselves. <laughs> That's cool. We go into our next topic. It looks here that someone just bought $400 million worth of Bitcoin. Now, we speculated on Friday's uh, Coin Talk episode that we thought maybe it was Ellen. Well, according to uh, Fortune, an anonymous trader has sunk $400 million, enough to buy New York State's most expensive home twice, with change left over, into cryptocurrency, raising his or her stake from 55,000 coins to more than 96,000 between the dates of February 9th and February 12th, and that buy-in is already paying substantial returns. The bulk of the purchases took place on February 9th with another 9,000 or so on February 12th. And even if the buyer bought at the day's peak, he or she, it is looking at total gains so far of roughly 83 billion. The current value of buyer's portfolio currently stands at nearly $1.1 billion. Whoever the investor was, it wasn't his or her first time plunking down a lot of cash on Bitcoin. Their account was largely dormant before December 12, when it went from holdings of 0.246 coins to 48,627 coins by the morning of December 13th. Bitcoin at the time was going for about $17,000, meaning a rough estimate of $827 million. What spurred these massive purchases, and who was the money behind it? It's difficult to say. The buyer could have believed that the cryptocurrency would be climbing in December. Then its bottom earlier this month when it traded for less than 6000 It could be corporate investing, adding crypto to its holdings. Heck, it could probably even be the Winklevoss twins. And uh, people are still saying it's the biggest bubble in history. And that's funny, right? So believe it or not, Vitalik is in the news today. He warns of cryptocurrencies, and he warns that they could drop below zero. So in a tweet, he said, Reminder, cryptocurrencies are still a new and hyper-volatile asset class and can drop to near zero at any time. Don't put in more money than you can afford to lose if you're trying to figure out where to store your life savings. Traditional assets are still your safest bet. You know, he really isn't kidding about the volatility. One Ether coin was worth around $13 a year ago, but currently costs $950. And then the last couple of months, it's gone as high as $1,400 and as low as $580. So, the, yeah, there, there is volatility. But um, it's still it's still the best place in town to place your bets, though. I know no one who is below, you know, uh, who is below, I guess, upper class is going to be able to make these kind of type of gains in their regular day to day life. And, yeah, you could do you can you can save in traditional assets, but you're not making this kind of money. You know, you got to take gambles, man. And if you want to be well off for you and your family, sometimes a little gambling of a thousand dollars is not that bad, especially if it has potential to give you a hundred times, you know, profits later on. So 
I don't see, I don't see person. I personally don't see a problem with it. And uh, he's even, he's done this before, you know, um, and he even said here, cryptocurrency media is now, even if out of ignorance, stupidity, complicit in making Twitter scams look more legit. Also, the ECF is not an EF initiative. It's an independent community organization with some EF participants as advisors. Yeah, so he's also deeply annoyed, you know, by people impersonating him on Twitter in order to defraud others of Ethereum. So, yeah, I'm pretty sure he comes just from a different place. He has a shit ton of Ethereum, or at least he did at one time. And I think he still, I think he still does actually. But I'm, but I'm almost certain he sold a vast majority of it, or at least some of it to, you know, to live off of and. He should. He uh, created the thing. So um, I think that's it for news. I just want to get those two things out. I wouldn't let the whole Villick thing bum you out. It's it's he's he's in a different space right now uh, when it comes to Ethereum. He has a lot of stress right now when it comes to their platform and people are, are still clobbering him about scaling issues. So that's just normal. And then also, you know, this type of tweet is more like, you know, he doesn't want to feel responsible if he can't he can't fulfill his promises and that's okay too you know maybe he's maybe he's trying to pull a charlie lee here so it's it's not a big deal but um yeah we'll just keep monitoring this because it's when somebody treats something like this this is not good <laughs> usually the tweet after this is like i'm leaving crypto or something like that and that's what that's what uh that's that's what he said that he would do if people kept talking about lambos around him so yeah We'll, we'll keep watching this, but for now, I wouldn't I wouldn't sell your Ethereum anytime soon. At least not yet. All right, with that, let's go ahead and get into our interesting video of the day. Cars, interesting video of the day. So today's interesting video of the day is actually from Charles Hoskinson. Um, he just recently showed up here on the blockchain podcast, episode number 36, and he, uh, had us something to say about, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cardano. So check this out. It's been hovering around fifth or sixth place for several weeks now. So just in the simplest possible terms, why is Cardano worthy of this position? Well, you know, I, why is anybody worthy of their positions in the market cap? You know, the, the Bitcoin is advertised as a payment system and a means of exchange, and then everybody who's ever tried to use it for that, it's it's been a miserable failure. They usually stop taking it, or they, they find ways to take cash and through a creative structure like what BitPay is done. Um, Ethereum claims to be a world computer, but then CryptoKitties breaks it. So the reality is that all of our competitors, everybody, is living in speculative land. You know, they're saying at some point in the future, there is a belief that these systems will change the world, and these systems will, uh, within their domain, really innovate, really change things. But there's dozens of them, and nobody's quite sure which one's which, so people are taking their bets. And mm -hmm. people looked at the science, they looked at the team, they looked at the progress made already, they looked at the philosophy, how we go about doing our business, and they made a bet that Cardano seems to be a contender. And to be frank, within six months to a year, uh, we will be pound for pound better than Ethereum and Bitcoin in every dimension and aspect, just based on how our roadmap's rolling out. And that's just generation one. You know, we're still moving our way forward to be able to shard and scale, and we have a great strategy for that and so forth. So I think a lot of people that have entered our ecosystem are betting that Cardano is going to be the uh, a strong contender. Now, it's not the only one. You know, Ripple could certainly be a strong contender. They have a very different philosophy and viewpoint of how these things ought to be structured. The same for Ethereum, the same for Bitcoin. And that's why most people diversify and they bet on five or 10 or 15. Mm -hmm. But I'm proud of the work we've done. As I've said, we have damn near 100 people right now at IOHK and half of them are committed to the Cardano project. And Mergo has its own people. The Cardano Foundation has its own people. We've put three years of work into this. We have a huge amount of capital to work with, um, so we're quite well-funded to a point where we could go well beyond 2020 if necessary. Uh, we're doing things in a very original and new way using Haskell and formal methods and peer review, and we have provable, absolutely fact-based results. Don't trust Charles. Look at Crypto17's website, paper number 71. Ouroboros was accepted. I would challenge every other cryptocurrency to have that level of rigor. 
you know, this is not a vanity thing. It's a, it's a, it's a very serious accomplishment. It's what people get tenure at major universities for. The decision whether you're a professor or not is on the basis of these things. So people who really understand that and they really see the progress in how we conduct ourselves, how we do the weekly updates, how we do the roadmap updates, the third-party auditing of claims, respect that there's some process behind here that has a potential to do something right. The other thing is that we're not saying unreasonable things about our ecosystem. We're not saying we can do a million transactions per second. We're not saying you're guaranteed to get a thousand X or a million X. We're not saying that somehow tomorrow this is going to be the next internet. What we're doing is saying that we have a vision that we can do a series of checkpoints, a series of, of milestones that over time we can grow into a great ecosystem. And we have a community that's patient enough to allow us to gradually march our way through that. And so a lot of people by ADA are feeling that that's a safe bet. Yeah, he's just, he's really bullish on his vision. And that's one of the reasons why I'm attracted to Cardano and attracted to what he's he's saying over there. He Like he says, he does everything right. Um, I did, I have realized and I have, I have told you guys here on this podcast that uh, my my original thought for Cardano was that it was going to be pretty high by the end of this year. I, I have come to realize that that is not true anymore. I said that back in January when I re reevaluated everything and really looked at the coin with like where it is now, where it could be in the future. And looking at their roadmap and stuff, I, I don't think Cardano is going to be able to reach a place, you know, of uh, a, a really high value until the middle of next year or the end of 2019. Um, that's just me coming to terms with my own kind of bias. Cause I have a lot of bias and I have a lot of, um, you know, love for Cardano and stellar. And I, that's just me coming to grips of it and realizing what it is, you know, as an actual, you know, place of value or investment. So just want to let you guys know that and reiterate that to you guys. But what he's saying is exactly true. I don't know if he's going to be able to surpass Bitcoin and Ethereum in six to twelve months. Um, I think that's I think that's kind of you know that's that's really bullish. Even if he does get to where he wants to be at by the by mid of the next year, that's still a great accomplishment. But I'm thinking by the end of 2019, we'll start seeing Cardano like fully functioning, badass crypto. You know, so right now. You know, Cardano was down today. Haven't looked at the market cap yet because we're going to do that here in Coin Talk. But um, it's definitely one uh, of the most inexpensive coins out there. That if you held, you know, for the next two years, twenty four months, and you locked it away and you didn't, you didn't open it, you know, this was one that you could probably say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and do all my other trades on this other stuff. But I'm going to take, I'm going to buy ten thousand Cardano coins just for an example, strictly for example, and I'm going to put those away. And not open it for the next two years. And I'm going to see what that present is. And I think Cardano would be that present for you. You would you would open it up at, the, at December, you know, let's say December 19th of 2019. And you would see the value of Cardano increase so much from the price that it is now. I think the last time I saw it this morning was like at 37 cents. So I'm just letting you guys know that. And I can definitely put my name on it because I really believe that there is absolutely no way we're... I see a future where Cardano doesn't doesn't win, um, not in like the whole cryptocurrency space. I mean, just doesn't win as hitting their marks. So that's my two cents. You guys have to make your own opinion on that. But I, I have a lot of Cardano, and uh, this is one that I'm trying to, you know, save long term. I'm not even thinking about selling it because I really believe that when I look at the end of 2019, I'm gonna have a nice size chunk of money right there do you know what i mean okay with that let's go ahead and get into corn tuck it is time everything you have been waiting for coin talk So, ladies and gentlemen, right from the get-go, I just have to give two quick shout-outs to people that be, have become a patron of Thrill Podcast. You guys know how I do it. Every every time somebody becomes a patron, I sing them praise and I say thank you. The first person I want to say thank you to is Cameron. Thank you so much, Cameron. 
you know, for believing in this crazy podcast. You're now a thriller producer. So, you know what, Cameron, you tell me what you want to hear. You tell me what main topics you want me to talk about and I'll do it right now. We currently have three paid three thriller producers. Well, actually, that's not that's not true because we had another Patreon over the weekend. Her name is Christina. Thank you so much, Christina, for becoming a patron of Thriller Podcast. You are also a Thriller producer, so thank you so much. That's kind of crazy. So now we have four. So now we have four Thriller producers here on Thriller Podcast. So any one of you can request a show. I, um, I will do my best to take to go by first person who sends whatever. What I typically do is on Sunday, I'll typically create a poll and I'll put the ones that I want to talk about for topics that I want to talk about. And then I'll ask you guys to put it in the comments below. Whoever's comment shows up first is the one that gets, you know, bumped up. So, yeah, guys, if you want me to discuss any of your topics, please let me know in the comments. But again, thank you so much, Cameron. You, dude, you've been an awesome addition to our Telegram group. You've been a much of a help to me and to everybody else on that group. So thank you so much for getting involved and just for being an all out cool person. Um, and then I also want to thank Christina. Thank you, Christina, for, uh, you know, becoming a patron as well. And my sincerest thanks to both of you. Like, it really means a lot. Uh, one other person I do have to thank is Rio. Rio, thank you so much, Rio. Uh, this weekend, Rio sent me some Bitcoin and I'm like, wow, <laughs> like, Wow, Rio, thank you so much. That was a lot of Bitcoin. I wasn't expecting that, especially like just kind of, you know, going about my day. And then he, he sends me a message and he's just like, hey, thank you so much kind of thing. And I'm like, wow, that's a lot of Bitcoin you sent me. So dang, thank you so much, Rio. I really appreciate it. I am not one to turn away Bitcoin. So thank you so much for that. Uh, just so you know, I will be hot. I will be hodling that for a very long time. So that is not going to be spent. Um, so you do not have to worry about that. And then also, uh, just want to thank everybody who showed up this past uh, weekend on, on, on our telegram. Um, uh, and then who showed up on our Google hangouts too. Like we had a total, I think at one time we had a total of like nine or eight people. We had a blast or at least I had a blast. I saw a lot of people coming and going and, um, thank you guys who, who came and left. Like, thank you so much because I know like just, you know, getting a little bit, of FaceTime with you guys is, is awesome. And so it was great meeting everybody. Uh, it was cool meeting. We had some interesting discussions. Um, I think me, Matthew and John have come up with an ICO called space mining or space mine. So that might be an ERC 20 token. So look out for that. <laughs> just, we're totally kidding. But yeah, we were just talking about all kinds of stuff and it was a lot of fun. I had a blast. We started at eight and I don't think we finished till about 11 o'clock. So we stayed on for like three hours doing it, but it was a blast. It was a great time meeting everybody. Thank you to everybody who showed up for that. We're going to do it here again soon here, probably in the next two or three weeks. So look out for that. I will definitely know, let you know about that. And um, yeah, it, had, it, was, it was a good time. Like I really had a good time. I hope everybody else had a good time as well. But thanks so much to everybody for blowing up this podcast this past week. I, f I feel like this past weekend we even grew even more and we our numbers grew even more than they usually do and i don't know if that's just because we it's because everybody's sharing the word i think that's probably what it is so thank you guys so much um you guys make me want to try harder each and every podcast so i appreciate it uh with that let's go ahead and get into our disclaimer yeah remember thriller podcast does not give financial advice he cannot tell the future even if he thinks he can he is just some dude trying to save the world one Satoshi at a time. So currently right now, Bitcoin is up. Bitcoin is up $11,440. So we all knew Bitcoin was going to hit 11K over the weekend. I think every one of us saw that coming. Now the question is, will it drop back down to 10? This is the thing that I was talking about uh, when we had our hangout. I'm kind of scared. 
Um, I was hoping it was going to go back down today and then it was just going to kind of level off and go sideways for a while and just kind of stay between 10.8 and 11.4 around there. So I hope it stays around here. I hope tomorrow morning I don't wake up and see it at $12,000. The reason I say that is because when it starts pumping that high that fast, you're going to eventually, I'm not going to say it crash, but you'll eventually see it, you know, topple over and then it will have to re-rise again. I just hope it doesn't do that now. Um, so... I'm gonna probably wait to the end of the podcast and look at it right now again, and then determine if I'm need to buy some more Bitcoin. Because I think, if because I bought some this morning, but I think um, if it if it stays around 11.4, 11.5, I'm definitely gonna be buying in because I don't want to buy some after it gets past 12. Because if it likes, if by the time I end this podcast and it gets to 11.7, that means it's gonna get it's gonna get across 12. It just usually ends up being that way then we got ethereum at 947 dollars so ethereum's only up one percent uh we got ripple at a dollar 14 so that's pretty much stayed the same we got bitcoin cash at 1537 dollars that's up two percent we got litecoin so litecoin really didn't get affected all that much over the weekend um i knew it wasn't because of the fork i didn't think it was entirely because of the fork that was going on with litecoin and litecoin cash but I definitely thought that maybe that had something to do with it. But thank God it was it wasn't had had anything to do with that. It looks like it was only two hundred twenty two dollars. So that means it only went down maybe about thirty bucks from the fork. So that's that's pretty good. That means people are holding Litecoin. That's awesome. And then we have Cardano. So Cardano is the thing that I got wrong this weekend. It sucks because I was really banking on Cardano doubling up here this weekend and that did not happen now i'm gonna say i do think i do think cardano even at 38 cents and down 1.43 percent is not a bad sign and i'll say this for two reasons 10 days after it pumped to 80 cents last year it only took 10 days for that to happen i think at the point where we're at now we're looking at probably another 10 days. I know you're probably saying, Carlos, you just predicted last week it was going to go up this week. Now you're predicting another 10 days. Yes, I am. <laughs> I am doing that. But this is one that I'm just, I just, it boggles like boggles my mind. This is the first time where I've actually looked at a coin and I'm actually gotten it wrong. <laughs> like I can really say I gotten it wrong. I'm just, it's just, it's kind of mesmerizing that Cardano is not higher than right now than it should be. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing because a lot of people can get in right now at 38 cents. But at the same time, I don't think it's a good thing either because it should be up by now. Everything else has gone up except for Cardano. So it has me troubled. And it's probably why we're seeing, you know, Charles show up on a lot of these podcasts here this weekend and saying what he said today on that podcast. You know, it's, it's because he's probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking, like, why hasn't Cardano gone up? Um, so this is one that has me a little, not scared. I'm not scared. It just has me wondering what is going on. Cause it's a number six crypto in the top 10 and it's at 38 cents. So yeah, it should be, it should be higher. Definitely should be higher. It should be at 85 cents by now, or at least close closing the gap to 50 cents. One of the two, it just hasn't done that yet. Maybe tomorrow we'll see. Maybe tomorrow we'll just jump up to 50 cents. And we'll just be like, well, there it goes. But at the same time, I'm still kind of troubled as to why it hasn't gone up. It, it should go up. But yeah. And then we got NEO at $138. So NEO took a nice size jump. It's up Stellar at 44 cents. So Stellar only went down three cents. It's down 3%. I'm not too concerned with Stellar. It's funny over the weekend, I had to get another um, Ledger Ledger Nano S and I got another Ledger Nano S and then I recovered my recovery key from the past one or the past phrase. And it actually works flawlessly. That was the first time I ever did it on the Ledger Nano S. I've done it on the keep key before and that one works flawlessly too so the 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 passphrase for your ledger nano s will work if you have it on a different one and then you want to move it over to another one so what i ended up doing is i ended up getting on all the exchanges that i'm on and i pulled all my coin i pulled all my ripple i pulled all my stellar 
I pulled everything, everything that I could get on the Ledger Nano S. They're supposed to be adding functionality for Cardano here pretty soon. And when that time comes, I'm gonna pull off my Cardano from my exchanges. So take this as, if you see me doing it, probably should do it too. The reason I'm doing it is because it's been a while. It's been a while since we have had a major exchange attack. Um, so this is me just like wanting to pull that off. Like I'm pulling it off because it's kind of like when you guys ever go to the, ever go to the roulette table, you'll get there and then you'll put a hundred dollars on red, you know, $50 on black or whatever, $5 on red, $5 on black. Then every once in a while, not all the time, it'll land on double zero, you know? And that's when everybody loses because no one bets on double zero. But when I play, when I play, when I play, but I, I, this is true. When I play roulette, I always put on double zero once in a while just to test the waters because you never know. So right now, by me pulling off all my crypto from all these exchanges, I'm betting on double zero right now. And I'm not saying I know something because I don't. I don't know anything about a hack coming or anything like that. I just it, it's just been a while is what I'm saying. Like Bitrix, as far as we know, has never gotten hacked. Uh, Binance, as far as we know, has never gotten hacked. Um, Hit BTC, as far as you know, has never gotten hacked. Uh, there's a couple other places. I'm just wondering. I'm sure people are trying every day. I'm just wondering when is that going to happen? Because something like that happens at least once a year. We'll see a, a big time attack like that. So I'm just hedging my bets because I, I don't want to be stuck without my coin. I, like I've already invested so much into all my cryptos that for that something that happened like that would just oh man, it would crush me. <laughs> it would crush me. So that's why I'm pulling off. The ones that I have a lot of, I still have a lot of Cardano on some exchanges, but I'm like, I can't do anything with that because I'm waiting for them to release support for the Ledger Nano S. And as soon as they do that, I will pull off the Cardano, but fingers crossed, nothing happens until then. It, that's why I always say it's a good thing to have your crypto spread over a couple exchanges. That way, if one exchange gets hacked, it's very likely the second one won't get hacked. Um, but to be completely honest and be completely safe, what you want to do is pull those off and put them onto a hardware wallet, um, a wallet that's on your, uh, that's on your system, that's on your computer is sufficient enough, but make sure that you got the press pass race for it. And you have a way of recovering it if something were to happen. Um, the, the ledger nano S actually works perfectly fine. The key key that I use works perfectly fine. So yeah, I would recommend those. Um, if you want to hold stellar, if you want to hold ripple, the ledger nano S is the only one that does that right now. Um, so, and they both work pretty well. Like I had like, Oh, that's another thing. Like stellar the transaction speeds. Holy hell guys. They're like 25 seconds, 30 seconds. Ripple speed. Same thing was like 30, 35 seconds, 40 seconds for ripple speeds. Like to transfer a shit ton of coin. It was fast. I mean, I, of course I tested like hundred coins first just to see what would happen. But after I saw it go through so fast, I was like, okay, this is going to work. And I threw the rest of it on there. So yeah, man, like if Stellar and Ripple ever became a cash payment thing, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be waiting very long at the checkout line. I'm just saying. Um, but with that, let's go ahead and keep going. Cause I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's important. EOS right now is at $9.79. We got IOTA at $2.08. We got Dash at $725. Wow, so Dash has gone up 3%. We got Monroe at $315. Funny enough, Monroe, I recently uh, got got a, got another PC here um, from work. They, they, we kind of just give those out after, you know, after a while. They just, they come into the office and then they get kind of get used and they're still really good, you know, processors and GPUs in them. So I took one home today and I'm going to mine some Monero <laughs> on it. <laughs> I'm kind of excited, but, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that because I've been mining Monero all weekend, um, with miner gate. And I think I'm going to try to use that one right there as another Monero miner. Cause I'm pretty bullish on Monero. And if I can mine with it on miner gate, then I'm going to I'm going to do that. It's free money, you know, oh, minus electricity part of it. Then we got NEM at 51 cents. Wow. So NEM went down 3%. We got Ethereum Classic at $43. Holy shit. So yeah, this is, this is more than we thought. So Ethereum Classic is up to $43 now. It's at 25, 25, it's up 25%. There's so much bull crap going on with Ethereum. Um, and it doesn't help that Vitalik said what he said today. Um, yeah, this is a run, guys. 
This also concerns me too. Every time I see Ethereum Classic go up this much, it also concerns me because I initially think, oh, it might show up on Coinbase just because it is this high. So I'm afraid that there's something going on behind the scenes that we're not seeing right now. So gosh, man, I'm not holding any Ethereum Classic. I think I have just like a little, but not, not enough to make a dent. Then we got Tron at five cents. So Tron, finally, you're making moves. There you go. We got uh, VChain at $6.55. We got Lisk at $28. We got Qtum at $32. We got Bitcoin Gold at $139. So even Bitcoin Gold has keep, kept going up. We got Icon at $4.78. So it's down 0.76%. That's not that bad. It's, it's, it's fine. We got Verge. So Verge over the weekend went up to seven cents and now it's at eight cents um it's down 0.66 percent so looks like people probably bought in at four and then took their profits yeah and then cashed out at eight cents i'm waiting to get out at 12 cents or 20 i think it can get to 12 cents this week i'm just kind of bullish on that so kincoin's about to get up to four one thousandths of a cent that's funny Got Funfair at six cents. Good on you, Funfair. Keep at it. Got Power Ledger at seventy-seven cents. So Power Ledger, it's slowly making its way back up to a dollar. It's slowly making its way back up to a dollar. We got Salt at four dollars and seventy-eight cents. We got uh, Redcoin. Holy crap! Seven cents of a cent. There you go, Redcoin. It's trying to get back there. And our hundredth coin is Vertcoin. Man, falling on hard times. Have you Vertcoin? Four dollars and sixty-four cents. That's not bad. So I think that's it for the coin market cap. Um, yeah. So today's main topic we're discussing, the future is decentralized. This is one topic that I've been trying to cover for a long time. I just haven't found the right moment. But this is one that I've just been reinvigorated lately about decentralization and what it could possibly mean for the entire future of the world and the future for technology as well. So let's go ahead and dive into that right now in our main topic. So this idea for decentralization kind of spawned last year for me. Um, I found this here on zerohedge.com, and I'll put the link in the show notes. But uh, there is a editor. His name is Tyler Durden. <laughs> kind of a throwback to Fight Club. I see all this potential, and I see it squandered. God damn it, an entire generation pumping gas, waiting tables, slaves with white collars. Advertising has us chasing cars and clothes, working jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. We're the middle children of history, man. No purpose or place. We have no great war, no great depression. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. All been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. We're slowly learning that fact. We're very, very pissed off. So first up, I do want to bring up, you know, this thing here, and this is very important. So I'm going to read it out to you guys because um, it's it's really good how how this Tyler Durden explained this out. Um, no, that sounds kind of funny, but so let's check this out. Any student of money and history understands that there really is no greater power. The power to create and distribute money at will in all supposedly sophisticated societies entrusts this awesome power to central bankers. 
which in turn enriched the financial sector at the expense of everyone else. The unethical theft inherent in the system was exposed for everyone to see during the 2008 crisis. As the criminals were bailed out and rewarded while everyone else was kicked to the curb, Bitcoin came about shortly after and has captured the imagination of tens of millions around the world ever since. So this Tyler Durden from the ZeroHedge.com website, he posted this whole article, and he's exactly right. Do you guys remember the 2008 crisis? It is just, it's a tragedy. On Monday, October 13th, 2008, as the U.S. economy was spiraling downwards, America's top bank CEOs were summoned to an emergency meeting at the U.S. Treasury Building in Washington. News cameras caught fleeting images of the arrival of Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan and Lloyd Blankfein of Goldman Sachs, John Thane of Merrill Lynch, and John Mack of Morgan Stanley. In the end, each of the nine CEOs present signed a hastily drafted single sheet of paper. $10 billion of government investment for Merrill Lynch. $10 billion for Goldman Sachs. $25 billion for J.P. Morgan. $250 billion in all. To Hank Paulson's own surprise, they capitulated much more quickly and easily than he ever imagined. Literally by 4 or 5 in the afternoon, it was done. The biggest welfare check in history had been paid to Wall Street. Hank Paulson may have had sound financial reasons for doing what he did, but he had no idea what the public reaction would be. Protesters filled the streets denouncing bailouts for billionaire bankers. The beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it's government censorship proof by design thanks to its decentralized nature. There's no CEO to threaten. There's no company to shut down. It's just a free wheeling ecosystem of hodlers, supporters, free thinkers, developers, miners, central exchanges, and related businesses somehow coexisting and thriving with no one actually being in charge. That was the genius behind of uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. Of course, this comes with its own set of issues, though, and we have noticed them, especially when it comes to scaling debate. How do we scale? We have forking, for that matter. People take it upon themselves to fork Bitcoin, so we see that issue. But the fact is, it's been the most successful way, and nothing short of extraordinary, with the advent of Bitcoin, decentralization finally made its mark on one of the most historical, significant control systems of human power, and that's currency. The gold standard is a monetary system where a country's currency, for example the US dollar, has a value directly linked to gold. Between 1871 and 1914, the gold standard was the dominant money system in the world, and governments worked pretty well together to keep it ticking along. Under this system, countries agreed to exchange their currencies for a fixed amount of gold and then set a fixed price at which their gold could be bought and sold. So, for example, if the United States fixed the price of its gold at $20 an ounce, then the US dollar would be worth 1 20th of an ounce of gold and could therefore be exchanged for 1 20th of an ounce of gold. This meant that a country couldn't have more currency in circulation than it's held in gold supplies because otherwise that currency couldn't be exchanged for the agreed fixed amount of gold. The US, for example, couldn't just print more dollar bills to pay for things because there wouldn't be the gold supplies to back it up and those bills would effectively have no value. And because gold is a natural resource, there's only a limited supply of it to go around. Governments can't just create more of it. But going back to the idea that most countries couldn't just instantly and drastically increase their gold supplies, because countries often get into debt and have lots of spending commitments, this restriction didn't suit many of them. And when faced with the costly wars of the 20th century, developed nations did away with the gold standard and opted for a money system known as fiat instead. This is a system where currencies have a value given to them by governments rather than linked to gold. 
Governments give these currencies value by making it law that they must be accepted as forms of payment and by making it a requirement that taxes must be paid with these currencies. Today, national currencies like the US dollar, euro and British pounds are all fiat currencies. And because the value of a fiat currency isn't linked to gold, governments have the power to issue more of it where they see fit. While banks are able to create more of a fiat currency through lending. Under the fiat system, there's no limit to how much money could be created, and this has led to the global money supply increasing dramatically. The problem is, the more of a currency that's in a system, the more the prices rise. And this, in turn, leads to inflation and the value of that currency going down. Over the past 100 years, the purchasing power of the US dollar, for example, has fallen by 98%. That means that what one US dollar can buy you today is a lot less than what it could buy you in 1914. But the wages and incomes of most ordinary people don't increase at the same rate as rising prices. And so many people are forced to take out debt just to pay for basic items that they were previously able to afford. US national debt currently stands at more than $17.5 trillion and is going up literally by the second. So to sum up, as more money enters the system, the more the prices rise and the more debt that people and governments are forced to take on. In recent years, the idea of a return to the gold standard has been gaining popularity in Western countries. Advocates of this idea, including three-time US presidential candidate Ron Paul, believe it could help to stabilise the world's monetary systems and contain rampant inflation and debt. There would be several problems with the return to the gold standard, however, including short-term price shocks caused by gold rushes or gold being lost, the risk of governments and central banks who would be the ones responsible for regulating a gold standard system, not playing by the rules, and on a more practical level, there simply isn't enough gold in the world to match the current money supply. Others, however, are suggesting that the cryptocurrency Bitcoin could be the answer, with many asking if it's the new gold standard. So, and naturally this sets up a major confrontation with current power structures which will not want to easily relinquish a tool so powerful. As the ability to create money out of thin air, with its well-laid plans to replace the dollar one day, with its own status, centralized currency, has, has surprisingly started to push back. When some people see the power structure, they fight back. Whether against Bitcoin or alternative news, they get nervous and they feel that all is lost, that they can't win. I completely disagree. I see it in the complete opposite way. The powerful are fighting back because they see themselves losing. We can't be so naive to expect them to go down without a fight, but that doesn't mean we should shrink from the challenge. If you go into a fight with a defeatist attitude, of course, you'll be defeated. We're the ones on the right side of history. While their dominator hierarchies must be displaced, our way is the way of freedom, ethics, and innovation. Their way is of control, authority, and of course, violence. We need the United States has a problem with gun violence. We hold the victims in our hearts. Perhaps we may never fully understand it. We talk about it after mass shootings, but it's much larger and more complicated than those debates allow. Here's what you need to know about the state of gun violence in America. It's true that the U.S. sees many more mass shootings than these other developed countries. Between 2000 and 2014, there were 133 mass shootings in public populated places. That's excluding gang violence and terrorism. Of course, the U.S. is a much larger country, but if you adjust for population size, it still ranks higher. Of these countries, Finland is next, with just two shootings over 14 years, but a much, much smaller population. Decentralization is the future. I, I really believe it. I think... It could solve a lot of the problems that we have in this world right now and in America. I know there's, I know it sounds crazy to think of it right now, but there's things that we haven't even thought of yet that could be used, you know, having a decentralized platform or a decentralized government or decentralized entities or decentralized voting systems. I think that could change the world. So it's very natural to ask, how do we solve this? What do we do? Let's propose something. Well, my belief is that this technology, this Bitcoin thing that everybody seems to be talking about, actually has inside of it some solutions. And I have my nice little cryptocurrencies. There we go, cryptocurrency, yay. Okay, so I call it the transformative triumvirate. Big fan of Roman history. 
And there's really three things here. Blockchains, decentralized transaction systems, and smart contracts. What in the world do I mean? Let's go through them. Let's talk about blockchains first. So basically what a blockchain is, is it's just a big database. If you're going to store something like who owns what, you need that database to be secure. You need it to be tamper resistant. You need it to be distributed. And it turns out that Bitcoin actually has probably the best distributed database in the world. It solved a very hard computer science problem just to exist. And here's the key. Once you put something in a blockchain like Bitcoins, it's there forever. It can't come out. We have every single transaction since Bitcoin was invented. It's there since January 3rd, 2009. So that means it's the perfect place to put identities. It's the perfect place to put agreements, property rights, these kinds of things. And it's totally censorship resistant. Even if it's inconvenient data to a government, inconvenient data to an individual, you can't pull it out once it's there. So let's look at some examples of what's already been done. So Namecoin is a project that wants to replace the entire DNS system of the internet. You ever wonder why when you go to Microsoft.com or Google.com, how that all gets sorted out and who owns what? That's ICANN's DNS system. It's a centralized solution. They're based in America, a lot of international participation. Namecoin is saying, let's completely disintermediate everybody. It's a totally decentralized grid where we actually have a new DNS system. BlockSign actually allows you to take contracts like non-disclosure agreements, anything you can think of, and actually verify them and sign them using the Bitcoin blockchain at an incredibly low cost, less than a penny. Now, let's look at the transaction system. This is near and dear to my heart. I've started two ventures in the Bitcoin space. Both of them were funded in a distributed fashion. The second one was Ethereum. So this brilliant kid named Vitalik Buterin last year came up with this idea. He wrote this white paper. He's 19 years old. And I read it, and I said, damn it, I have to help him start this because this is brilliant. Well, it's not a new idea. David Chom and Nick Sabo first thought of it back in the 1980s and 1990s. And that brilliant kid, Vitalik Buterin, and another brilliant kid who works for a competitor, Ripple, actually came up with uh, a way of doing this using Bitcoin, the Ethereum and the CODIS projects. So what does this actually accomplish? Well, you can think of any centralized service that's online, like eBay, you can think of a Dropbox, you can think of exchanges, and you basically can build a decentralized equivalent. You can also think of services like hosting. So you have Amazon EC2, you have Rackspace, you pay some money, you can use their servers. Well, what is just like folding at home where they fold proteins? Instead of doing that, we can actually tokenize hosting of web services. And people can just leave their laptops on, their desktops on, and make a little bit of money. And the aggregate grid becomes the world's largest web server. Combined with the centralized DNS system, you actually have an entirely new internet. And all of this is actually possible because of smart contracts. Well, blockchains enable him to build a censorship-resistant, always accessible digital history. Everything that he does, if he does it through a blockchain-based solution, it's there forever, and it's completely disintermediated from his government. So it doesn't matter who's in charge, what's going on, the particular political whims, it's there. And I can see that, and I can start building things like credit metrics and risk metrics on that. Okay. Second, just like me, his brother can now send things at much less than a penny. And if you think of that $540 billion remittance market with 12% going to middlemen, it's going less, to less than a penny. It's less than 1%. It's a beautiful thing. And finally, because we have these smart contracts, we can start talking about building microfinance and microinsurance decentralized networks. What does that mean? Think of Kiva. Think of Lending Club. Think of the Grameen Bank. And imagine if they had some sort of Frankenstein child. But that Frankenstein child is completely peer-to-peer. -peer. Anybody can access it. They can use it at a low cost. And now you, anyone, can go ahead and click on someone, send them $100, and actually get repaid through that network and have a 90 or 95% repayment. That's the beautiful emergent properties of having reputation combined with a money transaction system combined with programmable finance. That's what you get for that. The same deal for microinsurance. You can take a lot of innovation that's been done recently for poor nations and actually have insurance policies that are $50 or $100 and make them profitable. And once you actually have a set of these things, you can securitize them. So it's a very promising um, emerging field. So there's one last problem, and this is kind of the kicker. Only 40% of the world's population is online, which seems to be a little low, but when you think about the age of the internet, that's actually quite amazing that something has grown so fast. So how do we get internet to Hamed Khan? Well, in just the same way that we can build a decentralized lending network, in just the same way we can build a decentralized insurance ne network, we can also actually build a decentralized ISP. 
So you can actually use technologies like CJDNS combined with old hardware like Wi-Fi routers and cell phones and just a little bit of hacking and finagling, and people can become micro ISPs. Just like they can mine Bitcoin, they can now provide internet services to their local community. And there are several other solutions to getting it without necessarily having to use the internet proper. For example, BitPesa, based in Kenya, is trying to find a way to distribute Bitcoin solutions across the cell phone, which makes sense because they have a digital currency there called M-Pesa. And finally, BitNation is probably the most ambitious. They're actually building a global network of ambassadors that are going to provide a full suite of services. So it's a very rich field. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But one thing I do know is that the future is going to be decentralized. Decentralization is an idea whose time has come. Conscious people across the world are creating systems of human empowerment, while powers of centralization desperately fight to preserve control. We aren't the ones reacting to them. They are reacting to us. That's not a fight that can easily win. The only question is, how much are they willing to destroy in a futile quest to stop human progress. Strategically, much of the current battle is about exposing power structures for what they really are, to reveal themselves, to let them show their thuggish true natures. We must do this by creating systems that are transparently superior and more ethical than any existing systems, which will then force their hands. If governments insist on thwarting human progress merely to retain control, it'd be clear to all that they don't work for the people, but rather for themselves. We need to make sure we prove them to be the wolves that they are. That's how significant I think this shift will be. There are two key things that need to happen for this to occur. The first is technological innovation. And as we can tell, for the most part, that is already happening. The second is increased human consciousness. As Thoreau noted, in order for us to have greater self-determination, we need to be ready for it. I think we're getting there. So get out there and innovate if you can. And if you can't, that's okay. Go become an inspiration to others. If we spread the ethos of freedom and decentralization far and wide, we shall have it. And to that, I say, Tyler Durden, fuck yeah. So guys, just want to say that I know it might seem sometimes that the world is just fucking handing us lemons all the time or like your life in general is just not coming into fruition like you're hoping it can be. Just fucking hang in there. Every day is a new day to make the best of it. Every hour is a new hour to make the best of it. Every minute, every second, just as long as you just keep on pushing ahead. Because at the end of the day, there's only really a couple things that you can do. Buy Bitcoin and save the world or buy Bitcoin and save yourself. This is the end of the show. You have been listening to Thriller Podcast with Har Gonzalez. Remember, Thriller Podcast is not financial advice. Everything Car said likely won't come true. It is up to you. Now go do your own research. Listen to other dudes that start their name with crypto and not hard. And remember, buy Bitcoin and save the world, one Satoshi at a time. <laughs>